Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's the Last Stand Podcast. And here's your host, Brian Custer. Hello and welcome to the debut of the Last Stand Podcast. I am your host, Brian Custer. You know, for over two decades, I've had the opportunity to broadcast and report on some of the biggest sporting events. And during those years, I've forged some special relationships with some of the best athletes and celebrities who've been willing to share some of the personal details of their lives and candid opinions with me as well. But we've always been constrained by the time limits of television. Not anymore. Not with this platform. Not with this podcast. With this podcast and the last stand is where you're going to get the unfiltered straight talk from some of sports' most famous luminaries. So if you want to know the journey from aspiring star to champion, the challenges of life and career, how those are navigated, and honest opinions from some of the biggest celebrities, this podcast is for you. And we're going to begin with this debut podcast talking about the NFL. Because with sports on the hiatus, the NFL is coming off just from a few weeks ago, record number viewing with their first ever virtual draft a 35% increase in viewership over last year's draft. So that means over 55 million people over a three-day span watched the first ever NFL virtual draft. And of course, with sports on high ends, we were just fiending for it. Watch anything that was sports-related. NFL has also come out to say that they have every intention on starting the season on time. But with some contingency plans, even if that means playing in stadiums without any fans. And they've also come out to say that one of the contingencies they're looking at, if they have to, is pushing the season back five weeks. So that means instead of starting in early September, maybe even starting in mid to early October, which means the Super Bowl next year will be pushed back three weeks in February. And joining me to talk about all of this, the first guest on the Last Stand podcast is a man who played 13 seasons in the NFL. He was the second overall pick in 1999, six-time pro, pro bowler, and he's also going to go down as one of the best quarterbacks in Eagles history. He's also my guy. One and only Donovan McNabb. <laughs> What's happening, player? How you doing, Donovan McNabb? Oh, outstanding, my man. Outstanding. <laughs> First and foremost, with, with this pandemic, how are you? How's the health? How's your family? How's everything? Everyone is doing fine. We'll continue to stay on top of things, just make sure the social distance is very important. It also gives us time to spend uh, together 
uh, to reflect on positive times and, and express the love that we have for one another and probably the hate from seeing each other so much. Uh, but at this particular point, I mean, you have to look at uh, certain situations, dealing with kids at school, uh, kids having classes on Zoom, to, you know, trying to still find time to, to work out, um, communicate with family, make sure everybody is on the same page. So it's trying times in the world, but I think everyone is kind of handling it the right way, which hopefully will lead to some positive things down the road. Yeah, so you haven't had time for that quarantine cut or shave yet, huh? Well, my brother, I was going with uh, the Afro look that I had probably about 25 years ago, but it just don't seem to grow in the middle. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it's growing more on my face than the top of my head. So uh, I've been debating how I'm going to approach this thing either by the end of the month or next week, uh, but it could be over, my brother. It could be over. Well, talk to me about the kids, because you got you got some twins who are ballers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You also have a son. And so what's it like for a son when Donovan McNabb is your father? Do you have to grow up and play football and play quarterback? I don't put that pressure on him. And we've, we've played flag football, and I've coached the team uh, for over about four seasons. And uh, I've had his – his class, guys that have been in, in his school and friends and things that they, then we've expanded to try to recruit some more talented kids. Uh, but not only does he play football, he plays basketball. Um, and we're trying to get him in baseball, but that's not uh, kind of an exciting deal when you're out here in Arizona where it's 100 degrees. Uh, so, you know, I, I look at it in a sense, uh, number one is about school. Number two, it's your choice if you want to play basketball or football or whatever sport. Uh, but if we start it, you're going to finish it. That is the most important message that I said to all my kids. Well, listen, you, your daughters are some some ballers as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, you look at your family, man. Uh, listen, you have a niece that's in the WNBA. You've got yeah. a nephew who plays for the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, that Matt McNabb gene is one quite athletic gene. Now, now, Cuss, I mean, let me correct you right there, because if my wife heard you say that, she would be upset. It's oh, it's on, on the wife's side. Yeah, it's on her side. <laughs> now, now, I, I know. Okay, she just see, she just looked at me. She, she hearing this conversation. So I'm admitting it that it's on her side. Yes, they acknowledge that I am their favorite uncle and and their most <laughs> athletic uncle in the family. Uh, probably most athletic, you know, as far as adult in the family. But I'm not gonna go there. But I, and you know what? I'm more excited for them because. Um, we have one who you didn't mention who played in the uh, Winter Olympics and, and received the silver medal wow. uh, playing, playing for Team Canada. Uh, and then, obviously, my, my niece who played with, with UConn, she played in the Olympics in Brazil and playing for the New York Liberty and then Darnell for the Edmonton Oilers. But, I mean, the list goes on. I, I have another nephew who, who's playing the OHL. Uh, so her side of the family is very athletic and they're doing great things. Uh, and I'm just a, I'm just a big uncle. Uh, the support and make sure I'm there and, and make sure I provide any way that I can. That's, that's hot. That's hot. All right. So let, we've talked about, and at the beginning, I talked about the NFL. Let's get into it. What would you think of, uh, obviously you had to, in these times, go with the virtual draft. Obviously it right. was a ratings bonanza for the NFL. What did you think about the actual virtual draft? You know what? I, you have to give credit to Roger. And Roger Goodell did an excellent job of just trying to incorporate the fans, try to make it exciting and, and more like you were in his house while he was making the draft. Uh, you have to appreciate the closeness of being in the homes of some of these players who are being drafted. Your emotions are kind of built up. 
just imagine kind of just waiting and seeing if you're projected a first-round draft pick and your name's not called on that Thursday night and you're waiting on Friday, got your new outfit on, you're probably halfway pissed off anyway because you didn't go on <laughs> Thursday. You know, your mom probably like, oh, my God, what's going to happen now? Are we going to get drafted? You know, your dad like, boy, you need to relax. You need to relax. You know, and then for the most part, for, the, for them having their girlfriends there, which somebody need to get on the phone with these players. Those girlfriends were doing too much. They, the girlfriends were doing too much. And, and that, that's the whole thing that made it kind of, I would say, comical for a lot of us. Because we're looking to like, okay, who's that? And is that his mama or is that his aunt? <laughs> you know, and then they get up, like, you know, like they've been drafted. Like, I made it. Like, I, like so when you sit down, you see the moms, like, when you sit down somewhere, this is his day. So I, I just, I think that it was, it was, it should be something that they need to think about going forward. Don't get me wrong. I think when they, you know, have the drafts in the future and they want to be in Vegas because it is Vegas. Uh, but they have to think about the virtual draft aspect of it going forward because it's it's a different feel for fans because you feel like them like you just been drafted and I think that's very important. Yeah, and obviously you know, you don't get that uh, that opportunity to walk across the stage, you know, yeah. s- hug the commissioner, uh, see the fans. I mean, you know, obviously that's kind of the stuff you went through in '99. Except you know, I would assume minus the booze, right, Donovan? Well, the, the what? I, I don't, I don't recall. <laughs> you're, so, you're, I don't recall that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was with you, but I don't, re, I don't recall that happened. Um, I'm getting, yeah, I'm, yeah. What, what was that like? Yes. Uh, you know, you know what, what was though? that like? I, because I, no, I, because you know, you're walking across, and this is your big moment. Your whole family's there, and here you are, and you look out and you see Eagle fans. They're booing. Well, I mean, it was it was kind of like when my man C.D. Lamb grabbed his phone back from his girl because she grabbed for when he. We, <laughs> uh, but you know what? I will say this: um, it was it was different, you know, because you, you think about this: a college kid uh, who was very successful in college, uh, great things have happened, and this is a very important part of his life. And to come out and never been booed in college, never been booed in high school. And to come out and you hear the booze. So the first thing that I thought about was like, man, who they booing at? That's terrible. (laughs) You you know when you say something and everybody that's with you kind of give you that look like they booing you. Like, and you like that, they booing me? Like, I didn't do nothing. Like, you know, but it was funny when they first started because they mentioned all the guys that were in the green room. And, you know, when the kind of the booze were a little lower then. You know, we laughed at it. You know, all of us kind of went back in the green room and, and kind of chopped it up a little bit. And then when the name was called, you know, to hear the booze, and I was like, oh, okay, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. You, you know how we get beat. That's what we're doing. <laughs> right. That's what we're doing. Yeah, you know. So I, 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 I took that as a chip on my shoulder. Uh, use that as motivation. Every Each and every year I played, man. And I moved on probably three, four years out of it. Uh, from that whole aspect, but it has become a topic of conversation whenever a draft draft happens. Absolutely. All right. So let's let's talk about draft day and and what happened. And you know, we can even start with the team, your team, the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, they moved up and and go and get uh, Jalen Hurts in that second round, where people were like, "Wait a minute, what? Right. A quarterback, Jalen Hurts, second round." And we already got Carson Wentz. Uh, w- was it shocking to you? Were you surprised by that? 
Uh, I was shocked of the, of the fact of where they drafted Jalen. Um, I thought Jalen definitely was a second-round draft pick. Uh, after the first pick with Rager, uh, which kind of I questioned a little bit, you know, because you have Mims on the board who's a 6'1", 6'2", receiver that can play on the outside. Um, CeeDee Lamb was was stolen by the Dallas Cowgirls. <laughs> um, that, so I'm thinking, okay, now you're looking at a sense of, your competitors. So your competitors with the, with the New York Giants having Shepard and, and their receiving core, Daniel Jones, and then obviously with, with uh, Saquon Barkley, you have to worry about that. From the Washington Redskins, they dra- ended up drafting some help on offense with, with Haskins. Um, their running back situation, they got AP still there. And then Dallas now having three valuable wide receivers in their passing game, but they still need to pay Dak, which don't get me started on that. Um, and then you would think maybe either get a bigger receiver to play with Carson when you have your two tight ends who have been very valuable in this offense, maybe a Higgins, maybe a Mims, and they go get Rager because he's a 4-2 guy. So is it more about speed to get downfield or is it more about production? And then in the second pick, you're thinking, okay, we need to address the secondary because of what we're playing against twice a year. And then they go and get Jalen. So, I actually laughed at the pick because I was like, oh, I know they're not going to like this. I was like, I know they ain't going to like this. And so my whole thing is it it was a need for them. It was a need because they had two opportunities to bring uh, <laughs> uh, Nick Foles back, uh, and they didn't. And they really didn't have a true young backup that can go in and continue the offense going if something happens to Carson. Um, they went out and got uh, Josh McCown you know, from the TV set, who's about right. my age. Uh, and, and I give him credit because he played pretty well in that playoff game. Yeah. You know, minus, minus the hamstring. But, I mean, it, it's just – it's one in which you have to really question it because the picks going later, it seemed like they were trying to please the fans right. by saying, hey, I told you, we got, we got some offensive help. But it was like you never addressed the linebacker situation, nor did you address, uh, you know, the secondary. But there's a lot of people in Philadelphia who've been up in arms in this with this pick because, and, you know, and to Jalen Hurts' credit, he's said, "Look, I'm going to come in, I'm going to compete, uh, and I, I want to play." Uh, what do you think is the message then that they're sending Carson Wentz? Has, is Carson Wentz a guy who's been fully embraced by the city of Philadelphia by that organization? What's, what's the message then you think they're sending to Carson Wentz? Oh, no, he's, he's been fully embraced. I mean, he's pretty much uh, God's gift. And they, they love Carson in Philly. Um, but the whole deal about it is you have to listen to Howie Roseman's interview. And it was, oh, we're, we're all about Carson. He's our guy. He's our franchise guy. We paid him, you know, $100-plus million. But I have an obligation to the organization to be able to be prepared for the future you know, if something may have happened. And so that's what you got to listen to from, from most of these GMs. They're not talking about the present. They're focusing on if something happens, they have a security plan, more of an insurance policy to continue to develop Jalen or whoever it may be, may more Jalen, to be ready if the time is called for. And so I, I, I look at uh, where they are right now as far as the football team is concerned. Um, they have a lot of moving pieces, a lot of people they didn't bring back or they let go. Those are voids that you have to be able to fill. Plus, you have to improve on your depth 
at those positions. Mm. And is it a thing too, you know, Carson Wentz, his biggest Achilles heel thus far has been health and staying healthy. Yeah. Is this one of those things where they said, as you talked about, I'm looking towards the future. Uh, hey, maybe we can, in the interim, have him play like uh, uh, Taysom Hill and oh. kind of be that kind of player. And oh, oh. because we know Carson hasn't always been the healthiest guy, it, even if he goes out, now we've got a young stud that we can put in there. Uh, the Taysom Hill deal, uh, no. Um, and that's a big no. Um, Taysom Hill is no way, nowhere near the quarterback that Jalen Hurts was coming out of college. Um, the Lamar Jackson comparison, who's a better passer in college? Jalen Hurts was a better passer than Lamar Jackson. Now, don't get me wrong. Lamar Jackson was outstanding, won the Heisman. He probably should have won the Heisman back-to-back -back with his numbers. Um, and we'll see what happens if it translates to the league. So the whole comparison is funny to me why people want to compare, you know, him to Taysom Hill. And so that means you're comparing Carson to Drew Brees. Mm. Drew Brees is not the type of quarterback that Carson is. The thing that, that we highlight about Carson is what? His mobility. So now you're limiting the mobility of a quarterback who's known for his mobility to possibly bring somebody else in who has proven he can throw the ball in Oklahoma's offense Maybe not Alabama, how you wanted to see it, but in Oklahoma or Lincoln Riley, who a lot of people look at as possible NFL head coach material and a genius when it comes to quarterbacks. But all of a sudden, we don't talk about that with Jalen. His numbers were better than Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, who both won the Heisman. So you tell me, can he throw the ball? So yeah. this is the message that I said to the media when, when it was, I was asked. I said, listen, the problem with this whole gadget play type of quarterback deal is when you throw about five or six plays a game with Jalen in there and Jalen's getting first down at the first down or he's making a big miraculous play for a touchdown what's going to happen the fans want more they want to see more of Jalen Hurts so what does that do now to the psyche of Carson Wentz mm. like you're not you're not actually helping your franchise quarterback by continuously moving these pieces in, even if he's on the field together. So if Jalen Hurts comes in and you put him at the slot and put him in motion like he's some, some robot, like he's some receiver slash, uh, and he goes in motion and he hands, he hands the ball off to Miles Sanders, why even have Jalen Hurts in the game? Now you're yeah. using him as a decoy dummy. Like, that's not what you do to backup quarterbacks. I don't care if they can run faster than a cheetah. Like, that's not what you do. You develop him to play from the pocket and allow him to use his ability when needed. You know, Howie Roseman, you talked about that. The, the GM of the Eagles was talking about the reason why he made the, one of the reasons why he made the pick was he hearkened back to 2012 when Russell Wilson was on the board and they wanted Russell Wilson, but they tried to get too cute and said, okay, we can get him later rounds, later rounds. And all of a sudden, Seattle went and gobbled him up. He didn't want to make the mistake uh, that he made in 2012 this year because they like Jalen Hurts. And I'm that's glad why they you got brought him. that up, cuz. I'm glad you brought that up. Because uh, in 2012, remember, I was gone in 2010. So in 2011, they paid Kevin Cobb, which was the second-round pick drafted when I was there. Remember that? Yes. And so they looked at him like the franchise guy. It didn't work out. So who did they go to next? They went to Michael Vick which Mike, I brought Mike in to kind of restart his career 
and God forbid it worked well for him, he stepped in to become the starter. Now, in 2012, I was in Minnesota, and Michael Vick was the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Michael Vick at that time was like 31, 32 years old. And so, yeah, when you're looking at drafting Russell Wilson at that particular time, that's because you have a 32-year-old quarterback, not a 27-year-old quarterback. Mm, that's a good, great point, great point. Uh, another quarterback uh, move that was interesting in the draft, and you know, obviously the Eagles got uh, Jalen in the second round, but it was Green Bay who actually moved up in the first round. They go right. get Utah State's Jordan Love at, with the 26th pick in the first round. And right. obviously, Aaron Rodgers can't be a happy camper. What is what is the message that they are they sending to Green Bay? Because you know Aaron Rodgers wanted. I mean, they played in the NFC Championship game last year. He wanted weapons, mm -hmm. and you, the first pick is a quarterback. Your heir apparent. What what message is Green Bay sending to Aaron Rodgers? Let Let me go full circle because you know I like to go with the full circle there, Cuss. I mean, you know, we want to look at from the outside because we're enamored by the ability of Aaron Rodgers. Okay, so in the season last year, Aaron didn't play as well as we expected him to play because one, he's in a new offense. Two, he's with a coach that wants to run the football first and not allow the quarterback to sit there and change the play at the line just so he can throw the football. So what did we build as media members, as analysts? We built animosity between the two. And so what that did was that added no more fire more to LaFleur, then we praised Aaron Rodgers because you're not allowing Aaron to be Aaron. Aaron's 33, 34 years old. So we're looking at it in a sense that we're thinking we're getting the Aaron Rodgers from old. No, this is the Aaron Rodgers that's old. So we're, he's trying to take care of Aaron. Who was his tight end? He had Jimmy Graham as his tight end. Now, Jimmy dropped a few balls here and there, absolutely. Devontae Adams is a stud. I don't care what nobody say. Devontae Adams is a good ball player. And so the rest of the receiving cores was average at best. Don't get me wrong. But in that offense, you don't need star receivers because they're going to get open in that offense. And the defense carried them for the first eight or nine weeks. And so those wins that they had, that wasn't because of offense. Maybe Aaron let them back in about two games, three, to help them win. But the defense was dominant all season. And what happened when they played the San Francisco 49ers? All of a sudden, that offense didn't look too great, did it? Right, you're right. And so that defense kind of held them a little close with Jimmy Garoppolo was Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, so they had a chance. But going forward, people want to look at why didn't they get him weapons? Well, you got a 36-year-old quarterback starting the 2020 season. You need a backup quarterback that you can groom and get ready. Same like the Philadelphia Eagles, although Carson's 27. Aaron Rodgers is 36. So this is the mistake that New England didn't make, that New England made, excuse me, because they didn't have a plan B for Tom Brady. Tom Brady is 40 years old, and you don't have a quarterback that can step in and play right now. And so Green Bay is trying to eliminate that from happening. So you groom a quarterback like Jordan Love, which I thought was a great pick because Jordan kind of has similarities like Aaron, let alone they have the same agent. So mm. if, if you said Aaron didn't know, Aaron knew because his agent represented. So it, there's more to this story than people want to give credit to or lean on because I think in the second year of this offense, 
we're going to start to see this offense evolve a lot more where we're not asking Aaron to be old Aaron. We're asking Aaron to be that Tom Brady from five years ago. Just manage the game. Make three to four good plays or great plays and manage the game. We're going to run the football. We're going to eat the clock up. We're going to dink and dunk, take a few shots here and there. Our defense is going to pressure the opposing quarterback. And we're going to come out of the game probably 24-21, 24-17, and we're good. But you know Aaron Rodgers is a guy who does not like being a game manager. And he doesn't know what a game manager is. Yeah, and so that's the thing. Are, 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 are these guys headed for a divorce sometime soon, you think? Well, I think the money is so tied up right now in the next two, two, three years. I think this year will be a telling tale of what they decide to do is going forward. If now, if there's animosity, because I believe there's some animosity there with the floor and air. Aaron, Aaron walks around like he's our water, and we sit here and pat him on the back. But when it really comes to the breakdown, what has Aaron done? I mean, what has he done since the Super Bowl win? I mean, his playoff wins, he went to the NFC Championship, I think, what, two years ago or whatever? In last season? Uh, that was, yeah, uh, last season. I mean, but other than that, what, what kind of has, has he done since? And so LaFleur's looking at it like, hey, I put him in a position to take care of him, be able to run effective offense, let, let, allow him to make those miraculous plays. And I think we can continue to do that going forward. But we also have to protect ourselves for the future. Because remember, this same thing happened to him being drafted when Brett Favre was, was right. older. You know, so nobody said anything about that. I don't care what people say what well, Brett was talking about retiring. Yeah, when you get to this age, your body don't re respond like it used to. So retirement definitely creeps into your head. And and Brett had no – he had no interest in trying to mentor Aaron Rodgers back then as well because he felt like he was still on the top of his game as well. Right. Uh, uh, Cam Newton is a guy still looking for a job. What's the future, you think, for Cam Newton? Um, I'm so upset throughout this whole two-month process um, because what is what – is, I'll go to Jameis first before Cam. The thing that people highlight about Jameis is his interceptions. We just completely just forget about he had 30-plus touchdowns and over 5,000 yards, and he was, what, top five in a lot of different categories, but we glorify the 30 touchdowns that he threw. So now he throws 30 touchdowns. And what team is interested in him? The New Orleans Saints. Who ever expected Jameis to be the backup in New Orleans? So Jameis is trying to find a job. Cam is trying to find a job. Both of them were the number, number one picks in the draft, wasn't it? Yeah. When have you ever seen a number one pick in the draft who has been successful over the last four to five or eight years of his career and can't find a job? So that is the question for me because so many of these backups who are awful are still finding jobs. Blaine Gabbert re-signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brian Hoyer re-signed with the New England Patriots. That's just two examples of my point. And so now is Cam Newton, is he perfect for the New England Patriots? I don't believe so. I think who was perfect for them was Jameis Winston. Because if you cater to, to his ability and also limit those turnovers, he does a good job as far as spreading the ball around and being accurate with it. You just now have to cater and make sure you couture a little bit, change up his, uh, his decision-making downfield. And I think that was more catered to 
the uh, risk it biscuit mentality of Bruce Aarons. So now you ask the question with Cam, what are we expecting from Cam? Well, Jacksonville needs a quarterback. New England needs a quarterback. Uh, there are about three other teams who could use a quarterback. He's not a backup quarterback. I don't care what nobody say. He's coming in there to help. And I thought, I thought the Chargers would have been a great fit for him with taller receivers, a back that's just like he just had with, with uh, McCaffrey, uh, an offensive line that they could have went into the draft and, and shored up. Yeah, you could have drafted a quarterback in the first or second round, but if you would have brought Cam in for a two-year deal, to allow him to showcase his ability and show he's healthy. And then when the time comes, bring in the young guy and either let Cam, Cam walk or trade him or re-sign him if you see he's your face of the franchise and trade off your, your quarterback, young quarterback. Mm. Uh, Dak Prescott, um, you know, obviously has not. Yeah, I was going to say, listen, he hasn't signed uh, Pay him. that tender yet. So what is his – now, they, they go get CeeDee Lamb. So now, all of a sudden, Cowboys have got weapons everywhere. Where is yeah. his leverage now? Because I'm sure the Cowboys are saying, look, we got it loaded now. Hey, look, all you need to do is just sign. Obviously, they want him to sign for a five-year deal. That seems to be the sticking point. Does he have no. leverage, or did he lose any leverage now that they've given him more uh, weapons on offense? He he didn't lose any leverage. Uh, Jerry acts like he holds the cards all the time anyway. And, and that communicate, you know how I go out there, cuz. You know how your, your team go. He over there got small talk going on with, with, uh, with Dak's agent or talking to Dak, you know, stuff that we're not hearing in the media. But I'm going to ask you, being a, being a Cowboys fan, who is your backup? Yeah, that, that's, that's the My that's point the exactly. That's My the problem. point exactly. So you ask, who has the leverage? The, the, the sad part about this whole deal is you just brought in a new coach who's trying to now implement, implement his offense to all these guys virtually, but maybe the quarterback who's supposed to be running the offense is still trying to figure out if he's going to be traded or re-signed uh, as a franchise guy. Isn't that, that's embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah. That is embarrassing. I don't care who you drafted. You could have went out and drafted, you know, one of the – the top name players coming out of any skill position. It don't matter who you who you draft and who you bring in, you still ain't signed your quarterback. Mm -hmm. You signed your you signed your running back in Cabo. I mean, come on, man. My man went to Cabo, came back with a nose ring, uh, his hair was all everywhere. I'm, I, he might have changed his name. I don't know. He might not be Zeke no more. You know, he might have <laughs> came back in somebody else, you know. But, but then you got a quarterback who who has been quiet, who's been politically correct. It's all about the team. He hasn't been hurt. He's been there. He's led you to the last playoff wins, which you had, you know, in the last decade, pretty much. And so I, I think if that was Tony Romo at quarterback, Tony would have been paid already. Mm. The fact that he's listening to fans and he's listening to the media cry about Dak Prescott is the thing that bothers me the most because you see him every day. You know what you have. Pay the man. Pay the man. Because I'm going to tell you one thing. You franchise him. Then all of a sudden he throws. Say he has a half of Jameis Winston's season. And y'all make it to the NFC Championship game or the second round of playoffs. And he passed for 5,000 yards and 35 touchdowns. And maybe about 12 to 13 picks. You know how much money he going to ask for? Mm. You think That's it's a, a problem point. now. Yeah. It's going to be a major problem, problem. if Deshaun Watson – and or Patrick Mahomes signed their contract. 
Um, you know, when you look back on your career, D-Mac, 13 seasons, 11 of them uh, with the Eagles, uh, what are your thoughts when you look back on your career, especially uh, the Philadelphia, the golden years? A lot of fun. Um, great competitors that I, that I competed against. Um, guys in the, in the locker room, truly love them. Um, do I regret anything? I think a lot of times when, when mistakes or adversity happen, it makes us who we are later on down the road. And it's easy for a lot of us to say, yeah, I wish I could have done this better. I wish I could have cleaned this up. Yeah, but with, if, with things changing that way, being positive, then what, how would your life be? Yeah. And so for me, like when what? I look at my, well, I mean, if, if, if I would have won the Super Bowl, if I would have mm -hmm. won the Super Bowl, maybe I would have me a yellow jacket already. You know, if, if I would have won the Super Bowl, maybe I would have got received a lot better back in Philly. You know, if I would have won the Super Bowl, hey, you know, people would have been asking to talk to me. I don't know. I, you know, who knows? But, you know, we, we are in a position where we can't harp on the mistakes that we made. We can only learn from them. And we move forward. And I, I have four kids here who, you know, they, they listen to every word I say, if they like it or not. But I want to make sure that I become a good role model for them and set by example that not everything is going to be perfect. There are going to be times where it's going to be a little cloudy and shaky, where decisions have to be made. You have to just be prepared for any and everything that you'll be faced with. You, and you, you said, you know, maybe if you had a gold jacket, uh, do, you, do you believe the reason why you're not in the Hall of Fame now is because you, you, have, you don't have a Super Bowl victory on your record? I believe that that would have helped in it. That would have helped in that situation. Um, because, you know, it's just when you look at some of the decisions that have been made, think about it. When, when Warren Moon went in, people still would kind of question if Warren deserved to be in the NFL Hall of Fame, even though he put up great numbers in the CFL. But was he deserving of the NFL Hall of Fame? Uh, there are a lot of quarterbacks like Randall Cunningham. He deserves to be in the meet. Uh, there are a lot of quarterbacks and there are a lot of other positional players who would have had opportunities. Sometimes that whole Super Bowl aspect of it helps in so many ways in decision-making. Mm. I, I, I was listening to one of the guys and they had this debate and they were talking, your name had been brought up and they said, well, we see the Hall of Fame as guys who changed the game. Uh, mm. It shouldn't be the Hall of Fame of guys who were very good. And we just think that uh, Donovan McNabb was very good, not a guy who changed the game. And therefore, that's the reason why he's not in the Hall of Fame. You say what to that? Well, to me, very good is pretty good. Like, it ain't like he's like, oh, yeah, he was, he was all right. No, very good is very close to pretty awesome. Mm. Now, change the game. What you're seeing from these quarterbacks now, the Lamar Jacksons, the Deshaun Watsons, uh, you know, the, the Patrick Mahomes, the Michael Vicks, you know, all these quarterbacks that you've seen who people now want to label as gadget or possibly read option quarterbacks who are very successful on this level, don't get me wrong. But that torch was passed to them by somebody. Now, who was it passed to me? It was passed to me from Randall. It was passed to Randall from Doug and James Harris and, and uh, Gilliam and Marlon Bristol and, you know, 
you know, guys that, that were in that era with Randall, you talk about Warren Moon. Um, so what you're seeing is a, a evolution, like they tried to do that story this year of the evolution of the black quarterback. The evolution started a long time ago. It didn't start just last year. The evolution started back in the, the late 80s and, and the 90s, where you started to see quarterbacks who actually can move out of the pocket. That's not 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, that whole label of 6'4", six, 6'5", six, with the rocket arm, you know, cerebral. Yeah, you have now African-Americans who play on a collegiate level, come to the NFL, that would be successful, who are 6'2", 6'3", 6'1", whatever, however you want to look at it. Um, you know, with a with an accurate arm or a, a strong arm who can read defenses and be a leader, but also has the ability to use his legs. And I think that's what you're seeing now. You're seeing the evolution because it's in your face, and that's what the millennials see. You know, perfect example, the last dance, which I'm so glad that they started it up because there's nothing on TV. <laughs> but the last dance, you know how many of these Generation X and millennials uh, never really knew about Michael Jordan, but they say LeBron James is the, the greatest of all time. Yeah. Now they're starting to see a whole different, different dynamic of what this boy, this man was all about. He was about taking your throat. If you step out on that court, your heart is mine. Like that was something that these kids need to see. And a lot of, a lot of these 10, nine, eight year olds, they don't know who I am. The only way they find out information about me is by Google. Mm, that's a great point. So you look at it, you, when you talk about your resume, five NFC championship games, a Super Bowl appearance, uh, a Super Bowl appearance uh, with the Eagles. When you look at those Eagles teams, did you guys uh, overachieve, underachieve when you look back? Uh, we didn't achieve the goal that we set. Um, do I think we overachieved? Absolutely. Absolutely not. Absolutely. Excuse me. Absolutely not. I don't think we overachieved. We had... We have talent on top of talent on top of talent. Um, did we underachieve yet? If we, like I said, if we'd have won the Super Bowl, it would have been different. Um, so I would say probably, I never like to put it in that class, so to speak, because mm -hmm. I look at it like we left some things out there. You know, we left some, some deals out there. Five NFC championships, uh, the NFC East champs, you know, multiple years to our playoff record and playoff appearances um, to – it wasn't a deciding factor of, of where we barely getting in, which we got in that one year when we beat up on the Cowgirls um, <laughs> to get to make it to the <laughs> NFC Championship. Oh, my bad. Did I say that? I'm sorry. You did say that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry Charlie Murphy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the whole thing about it really is it's, it wasn't a year, especially if, if I was the full-on starter, because I suffered some injuries, you know, um, and – Garcia came in and helped, and uh, we brought Mike McMahon in. You know, we had some guys to fill in, but every year we had a shot, not just to make it to the playoffs, but it was how far we were going to go in the playoffs. And that's mm -hmm. something that I enjoy hearing when it comes to my era. Um, and, and because you talked about that gold jacket, and, and I know you well, in your heart of hearts, D-Mac, if, if, if it all comes down and you don't get in the hall, will you be disappointed? No, no, because this, this is the thing, Brian. This is the thing. When it comes down to it, the numbers don't lie. You know, we, we, we want to pinpoint certain people's numbers. We want to glorify some people's accomplishments uh, until 
it's a decision that has to be made. I don't have a vote. So there's nothing that I can do. And the thing about me is when I first stepped foot in the NFL, I didn't play for the for the Hall of Fame. I played to, at the end of it all, be the Michael Jordan of, of the NFL. He was my idol like that. When I came out of Chicago, it was more or less I wanted to be on every commercial. I wanted to be holding up every trophy. And at the end of it all, when I was done, my legacy to be something special. Mm. And so it wasn't about the jacket. And you, I mean, you can ask Mike about that. Like we've had many conversations together, you know, being under brand Jordan for a couple of years. Um, and then now my niece is under brand Jordan. But, you know, we've had conversations just about approach, attitude, uh, goals, determination. This is me and Mike talking. Yep. And what, what he was able to do through his career, I wanted to do in mine. And I guarantee if you ask him, well, did he play the game to be in the Hall of Fame? He'll tell you he can care less about the Hall of Fame. It was about his legacy. Well, I mean, you look at what you did. I think, like you said, people tend to forget when you talk about a guy who had uh, a gun for an arm, a guy who could run, a guy who could sit in the pocket, a guy who could elude the rush. I mean, you basically did a Mr. Chunky Soup, man. You were you seemed like the poster guy for for Chunky Soup. Um, you know, someone you, you asked, forgot a few things. You forgot. A I few did things, a few. Gosh, you forgot. <laughs> you, did, yeah, I, listen, you forgot. You know, sexy. Could have been in Jet Magazine. Right, know. right. <laughs> uh, someone asked your good friend uh, Terrell Owens about whether or not you Who? should be <laughs> about you and whether or not you should be in the Hall of Fame. And he said, and I'm, I'm, I want to quote him because I want to get, I want to quote him correctly. He said, Yeah, you want to make sure you say it right. Yeah, you exactly. want to make sure you say it right. <laughs> quote, Look at his stats before I got there and after right, I right. got there. That's all you need to know, end quote. So he's making, the, I guess, the argument that if you should even be considered is because of what he did for you that one season. <laughs> oh, Charlie Murphy. Uh, <laughs> Hey, uh, you know what, cuz? We're going to pour out a little bit for him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> pour out a little liquor for, for Terrell yeah, Owens. We're going we to pour out a little liquor for him <laughs> for that comment. Uh, but you know what? It, it's funny. Um, when he got there, our offense elevated. Now, we had already been to NFC Championship. We had already been there. And you remember, when he got hurt, we played the whole playoffs without him. And we made it to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, my numbers were great, just like everybody else's numbers were great at that particular time. Don't get me wrong, uh, but, but we, now we're going to sit here and pinpoint numbers when you were specifically there. How about the winning percentage I had before he was there in and after? Like, let's, let's focus on that. So, it, 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 that sounds to me like, that sounds like to me like the last dance when Scottie Pippen said he wanted to be better than Mike. But he realized he wasn't better than Mike. <laughs> like, let me ask you this. And it's a, it's a, do you ever think that you and T.O. could ever be in a, the same room together and iron this out? We could be in the same room. But Have you been in I the same room lately? We've been in the same room at, at Super Bowls or 
Uh, we've been in the same room in in, in uh, events at the Super Bowl. And don't talk. This, this, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, this is it, cuz. We're grown men. Now, grown men don't need to harp on situations that had 20 years ago. So we didn't let it go. I move on. I've, I've always said it. I move on. Because I got four kids that I worry about and focus in on. What's happened in the past is the past. I'm, I'm done through, with that. So there's no need for me to have any communication about the past or trying to clear it up. You know, do I, do I feel like I need to resolve anything? No. It is what it is. So I move on. Mm, mm. You, you guys had so many characters from T.O. and Hugh Douglas on that team, Trotter, Dawkins. Give me one story. I mean, we know the infamous the Douglas-T.O. fight and all that kind of stuff. Give me one story or something that happened in the locker room that maybe not many people know that could have really gone left. I don't – we never had any stories like that. And, that, and that's the thing is, Especially those the years he was there, especially that Super Bowl run. Now we we were in we were in locker rooms before games, and we had we had Rick James playing, we had the Gap Band playing on one game. Like we was in there just funking it out. You know, we have been up in our locker just you know when when you see most guys in there serious and looking at they play. Listen, well, I told you when we played, it wasn't it wasn't. Were we gonna barely win? How are we going It was man. How was how are we gonna win this game? How are we gonna win this game? We gonna win this game by by twenty. We gonna win this game by thirty. Am I gonna be in in the fourth quarter? Here, that's how the mentality was. Listen, man, I don't expect to play in the fourth quarter, so we need to go ahead and have the business right now. And we up in there break dancing, like we we in there jamming, and that's the that's the type of team that we had. And so as far as anything happening behind closed doors, nah, you know, that's that locker room stuff. That's staying in the locker room. But it was nothing to that effect where we sitting there exposing negative stuff. Man, mm. we had a good time. It was yeah. a good time when I played in Philly. Was there one team, uh, maybe it's a division foe, that really gave you fits? Um, well, early on it was the Giants because at one point I think we had made a loss to them maybe 15 times in a row or something to that effect when I first got there. Um, and our first win against the Giants, I think, was on a Monday night where I threw, threw the touchdown pass to James Thrash in the right corner of the end zone on a scramble, I think, away from Michael Strahan. Um, and I, I loved that very much because he looked up at me with the gap and, the, and he was like, hey, I was like, yeah, touchdown, touchdown, sucker. Yeah. But, you know, we had fun that year. Um, you know, the, the Redskins, the Redskins was always different, um, you know, because we they had top defenses. Then they had, you know, some guys on defense that can make some plays for them. So it was always a challenge when we played at FedEx. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't like that. And the Dallas Cowboys, obviously the Dallas Cowboys are a big rival when it comes to the NFC East. So it could go either way. Uh, it didn't matter what our records were at that particular time. It was still a battle. And I would say probably from Jerry's playpen, uh, when that all started, because before we kind of had had it going both. I think we won more than them, of course. Um, and then when Jerry's playpen came about, you know, it kind of went more, I think, more in favor a little bit to them uh, at that time. But, you know, we still got more playoff wins than they had. We had in two years and they had in 10. 
<laughs> it's always a cowboy dig with you. Always. Oh my God. What uh, you mean? Well, I didn't, did I say something? No, no, no. <laughs> oh, we'll wrap it. We'll wrap it up because I know you love Andy Reid. Uh, so I'm sure yeah. you're happy that he finally got him a Super Bowl win. Patrick Mahomes, uh, is he he's the future of the NFL? Absolutely. Right now he's the face of the NFL. And I know we're still hanging on Tom. Um, we're hanging on Drew and his numbers or Aaron. But Patrick Mahomes is it. He's the face of the NFL right now, I believe. Um, and what you're seeing, and I think we have to now start to give a little bit more credit to Andy in this regard. Because he's been to seven NFC championships. Five with one team, two with another. Two Super Bowl appearances and one Super Bowl championship. So when it comes to innovative, innovative offensive minds, that's where they are right now. And they're evolving. And we can try to pinpoint one particular thing on, on Kansas City's offense. We can talk about the speed. We can talk about the playmaking ability of Travis Kelsey. We can talk about the running game. We can talk about the screen game. At the end of it all, it goes back to one person, the light-skinned fellow with the big hair. <laughs> that's a great that, point that's going to get paid a 200 million dollars you know what i'm saying so yes and, and, and that the funny thing to me is he won, the, he won the mvp and his numbers were great this year his numbers were better and he didn't even play the full season and so this is the thing when it comes to other quarterbacks like if that was aaron Rodgers, we would be i mean he's the michael jordan of the nfl blah 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 you know, if this was Drew Brees, we'd be pumping him up. We give like a five-second, ten-second praise to, to Patrick Mahomes and his ability, and then we focus on somebody else. When we should be focusing on how young this young dude is, how talented, and how smart he is. Like, this dude is a smart dude. Very charismatic. He, he's one of the guys that are real laid-back, chill, kind of hangs with the guys. But when it comes to football, he's all in. Mm -hmm. Mm. And Tom Brady, you think uh, everyone believes that now that he's in Tampa with Gronk now as well, that all of a sudden Tampa Bay is going to be a beast in the NFC. What do you think? Old man winter. <laughs> you, that, I mean, listen, I don't care if Tom brought the Blues Brothers back. I don't care if, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the whispers are singing in the background to, you know, the Temptations is dancing. First of all, listen, this is the thing that, that bothers me because we're, we're glorifying Gronk coming back. Gronk was beat up. Gronk suffered so many injuries that started to kind of hit him a little later. So with him taking a season off who hasn't been hit for a year, how do you think he's going to adjust back into the NFL? The game's different now. And he was a lot lighter. Remember he lost all that weight and he was doing the CBD oil uh, you know, appearances, and he's on Fox smacking the ball. and Like, it's different getting back in the game. But one thing I will say is, remember, the risk-it-biscuit mentality. He's not going to have that same mentality with Tom. It's going to be more that dink and dunk, you know, to get the ball to Gronk, get it to uh, OJ, uh, to get it to, to Evans maybe on a, on a slant or a hitch or a curl. It ain't going to be just firing the ball downfield because Tom ain't got the arm that Jameis had. So it's going to be a smarter, managed the game type of deal. Mm. Uh, well, we always like to have the people who uh, listen to the podcast, watch 
this podcast, submit questions. We got a number of them on social media for you. Um, I'm going to start here. This one comes from Facebook. Arnold Joseph says, I represented Bernard Hopkins when he was middleweight champ. Bernard is from Philly, but he and McNabb really disliked each other. What's the genesis of the beef? Uh, Bernard was a T.O. guy. Mm. Bernard was a T.O. guy. So it is what it is. There you go. Uh, num- this one comes from Facebook. Jacob, he, oh boy, you better answer this one lightly. Who is the best radio co-host you ever had? Well, you know, I've had many of them in my <laughs> day, you know. <laughs> you know, hey man, tell your cousins to stop, stop uh, calling into the show and trying to get you some love. Listen, man, tell them, because we had one of the hottest shows definitely on the network. Yeah. We were the hot show. When it came down to when we were during during the uh that week that Monday, we were on Monday night, which yeah. was was right leading through Monday night football, which we gave you everything, including music that I see a lot of their shows now starting to steal our mentality. And then when we hit them when they moved us to Sunday, oh we gave them some worship. Yes, we gave we that good old Sunday morning <laughs> worship where it, listen, the best co-host I had definitely was Brian Custer. And you That's better right. get us back on air again because you're know, missing out. Uh, you're right about that. Heck, I need to have you uh, co-hosting this podcast with me that we had so much fun. Uh, this one's from McGusto on Twitter. He says, does Donovan consider getting sacked 12 times in a game by the Giants his worst performance ever as an NFL quarterback? Obviously, he must be a Giants fan. Uh, no. I think that was one of the worst team performances that we had. Um, you know, O.C. O.C. played great that game. O.C. played great. The whole D-line played great. And we give credit to him. I mean, you know, I feel bad for Winston Justice, who we moved in at the left tackle position because Trey Thomas was hurt. Um, and we weren't helping him out the way we needed to. Uh, but it was a great it was a great night for the New York Giants and OC Um And it happened to be on a Sunday night, which, you know, didn't really work out well for us. Mm. Uh, Doug Perkins from Facebook asks, is there anything you would have done differently in your NFL career? Um, you know, I, I maybe, maybe try to eliminate those turnovers in the Super Bowl. You know, who knows? <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, you know, hey, we have some ups, we have some downs. But all, all in all, I learned from that experience. I mean, it was 13 years of, of uh, you know, just work, dedication, grind, for preparation, being ready at all times. Um, so, I mean, there are a few things that I would love to change, but we can't go back unless I get back into the hot tub time machine like the movie. <laughs> And, you know, we could change some things up that way. All right. Donovan McNabb, it's time for the last segment here of the show. We call it The Last Stand. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I want the first thing that comes to your mind, not the second. No hemming and hawing. You ready? Excuse me. My throat was a little dry, so I had to, (laughs) you know, had to get me some uh, high-quality H2O, you know. I love it. All right. Here we go. First question. Uh, first thing that comes to your mind when I say Terrell Owens. Uh, <laughs> nothing. 
<laughs> uh, best NFL player you've played with? Brian Westbrook. Hmm. Most because I played with him for more years. Okay. Most overrated player you've ever played against? <laughs> uh, I, I won't go there. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Look at that smile. He's like, I'm thinking of somebody right now. Uh, in your opinion, who's the best quarterback of all time? Uh, Tom Brady. Hmm. Tom Brady. Wow. Even, even you, when you think about the greats and all, Tom Brady's still number one, huh? Remember when I first said it on our show? Remember yeah. I said it on our show? You did. That if, did. if he won that Super Bowl, and that was leading into the Super Bowl, was that against? That was against Atlanta. Atlanta. I, I said if he won that Super Bowl, he would go down as the greatest of all time. Hmm. Do you now believe in the Madden curse, Donovan McNabb? No. But Come on, man. Why you <laughs> Hey, for, for those hey. for those who are listening, Donovan McNabb was the guy who said he did not believe in it because he was on the cover of Madden, and then he got hurt. Yeah, uh, it was an unfortunate situation. Um, I don't, um, you know, because I believe in the man upstairs. Things happen for a reason, whatever it may be. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson will be fine this year. Matter of fact, wait a minute, Patrick Mahomes, he was on it last year, right? And he right. got hurt. And he got hurt. <laughs> uh, but he came back, though. He came back. It worked out well for him. All right, last question. What's a more entertaining sporting event at Syracuse? Is it men's football or men's basketball? You play both. Oh, oh whoa, whoa, whoa. We get 50,000 in the stands. Basketball get 25, maybe, you know? So when they come play, they see their man coming out the tunnel. They know what the deal is, you know? We we standing on our feet, standing ovation all the way through. I'm gonna have to go with football, man. Don't get me wrong. I'm you know me. I'm a you know how much I love basketball, man. Basketball is fun. We played Georgetown. It was just like the Cowboy Eagle rivalry. We hated Georgetown, and that was always standing room only. It was a lot of fun. But football, football is king at Syracuse. Well, let me tell you something. This has been great. Uh, what a way to start off this show. And I couldn't have a better guy to start it off because you know how I feel about you. I love you dearly, man. And, you know, listen, let everybody know what Donovan McNabb's been up to as we close this out. Well, you know what? We, uh, I, I've just, just continued to see what I can do to help and aid in so many ways, especially now in the pandemic uh, with, with the COVID-19. Uh, if it's, you know, helping out with, with the hospitals here in, in, in Arizona, um, trying to provide a little excitement, entertainment through social media, uh, still staying abreast of where we are with sports, with NBA, with, with football, uh, and so on. Still, still kind of breaking down things in that aspect. Uh, man, just being a dad and, and working with my kids and, and training quarterback, the quarterback that's going in, he signed as a free agent with the, uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles, Khalil Tate. Uh, who's a quarterback at University of Arizona. He was recently signed as a free agent for the Eagles to come in as an athlete. Uh, maybe he'll have an opportunity to play and work at quarterback to develop that way. But I've just been doing mentorship to a lot of players that, that came into this draft and also players that are playing in the NFL now. Uh, so just, man, staying on top of things, man, and just making sure to just do whatever I can to help try to change lives. Man, I appreciate you. That's Donovan McNabb, and that's going to do it for the debut episode here of the Last Stand podcast. Folks, every week 
we're going to bring you some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment. And of course, you can catch us on all the platform streaming podcasts. See you next week. It's the Last Stand Podcast.